The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Let's see. My week has been full of working on this stuff and trying to trying to get ahead of the curve here and get a little bit of an understanding for what the hell's going on with all this AI thing that's coming in and taking away all our lives. All our jobs. So that's been fun, tinkering with uh, stable diffusion. It's scary. It's harder than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm kind of glad to hear that there's some skill required. I was too. And I mean, like, it's far and away not the skill that an artist needs right, to create an amazing work of art. And the limitations are still very present, um, but we should all be very scared because it, it's it's coming. We should I, all be very scared. That's what I'm here to tell everybody. <laughs> Run screaming into the streets. Oh, shit. The sky is falling. Wow, you're really full of... Full of, <laughs> full of something. Something. Full <laughs> yeah. of shit. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's full of something. No, but it is like exponential, isn't it? So it's going to improve so much more quickly yeah then we're going to be ready to handle the improvements um anyway anybody ever had uvulitis (laughs) sounds gross (laughs) yeah it's awful uvula swells up from uh from snoring that was my problem it seems well i literally injured myself snoring that's that's the age I'm at now. <laughs> I had a I had a day long injury that what inhibited my ability to do things because I snored too hard. Oh, yeah. Getting old is fun. It's so fun. So much fun. Speaking of getting old, let's talk about something old. How's oh, that? Okay. 
I, I think guess it that's works. a way of <laughs> introducing, I think introducing it works. a historical We're old, tale. but this is way older. Yeah, you know what's going to make you feel young? Thinking about 1860. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited about today's story. I got real into this one. We had a listener named Seth Batts, who is at Seth Sculptures on Instagram, suggest Winnaretta Singer as an episode. So started diving into her life. She had like two chaste marriages and a bunch of lesbian love affairs and like sounds like a really exciting person. But as usual, uh, we got a little sidetracked when we learned that Winaretta was the 20th of her father, Isaac Singer's 26 children. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm over here like, well, what in the world is going on with Isaac Singer and his presumably exhausted wife? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because my God. Well, a quick click on his Wikipedia page, and we were down a rabbit hole Oops. about a womanizing actor-turned-inventor whose sewing machine changed everything, not just in the home, but also in the business world. Okay. So before we get into Winaretta Singer, let's tell you all about her father, Isaac Merritt Singer, the inventor of the sewing machine and inexhaustible ladies' man. Oh, yeah, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So Isaac Merritt Singer was born in 1811 in upstate New York. He was the youngest of eight kids. And he was like, I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and when he was 10, his mother divorced his father and left for good. Mm. So Singer Sr. remarried, but Isaac didn't get along with his new stepmother. So at 12 years old, he ran away to Rochester. Oh, boy. Birthplace of Eli Banks. Yeah. And also the garbage plate. Oh, the, mm, the garbage plate. Well, at first, he joined the Rochester Players Traveling Theater Troupe. AmericanBusinessHistory.org describes him as, quote, a fine-looking youth, tall, handsome, blonde, and cheery. Uh, he's also said to have, like, red hair in other sources. So oh. I'm picturing kind of a strawberry blonde. Type. Oh, sure, yeah. So he's a pretty good-looking, charming, tall, attractive man. Okay. Cool personality, kind of a big personality. Sure. Apparently his biggest ambition was to become a great Shakespearean actor. Oh. His favorite role was King Richard. Oh. Isaac also apprenticed at a mechanics shop when he was 18, and he took to that very quickly. So he clearly had some kind of, like, innate talent with machines. Yeah. In 1830, at just 19 years old, Isaac married the 15-year-old Catherine Haley. They had two kids together, William and Lillian. And, of course, they were super broke at this time. Actors back then, mm -hmm. not much different than now. Uh, the kids dressed in rags. They played in the streets, while Isaac mostly just worked odd jobs trying to make ends meet. So, in 1836, they packed up and they moved to New York City, where all actors go to make their fortunes. Exactly. He was like, babe, if I'm going to be an actor, man, I got to go to the Big Apple. Got to go where the action is. <laughs> <laughs> when they got to New York City, almost immediately, Isaac joined another traveling theater troupe called the Baltimore Strolling Players. And he was almost always out on the road with these guys. He effectively abandoned Catherine, and he would go out and amuse himself with a ton of other women uh -huh. in their many stops on tour. One newspaper wrote, according to AmericanBusinessHistory.org, quote, 
His intimacy with the female part of the population was severely commented upon, and much sympathy was expressed for his wife. Damn. Damn, they had it in the papers. The, they were calling him out. The like, journalists got wind of this. Jeez, yeah, buddy. Well, and apparently, I guess everybody who ever came across him, because they were always being uh-huh. like, damn, sucks for Catherine, because <laughs> he's going <laughs> home with like three ladies on his arm every night or uh-huh. something. So when Isaac was in Baltimore, he met a beautiful woman. And that brings us to this episode's side piece. Who was that woman? So Mary Ann Sponsler and her family had no idea that Isaac Singer was already married. But she was super into him. They got together. They start seeing each other. They even got engaged. He asked her to marry him. But, of course, he can't do that. (laughs) Uh, Right. He's already married. Uh Uh-huh. So, eventually, she must have learned the truth. Some kind of agreement was made. Because Isaac and Catherine stayed separated. And Catherine moved back home to her parents' house with their two kids. Still in New York, but just not with him anymore. Okay. And Isaac and Marianne moved to New York City, and we're, like, living together. Wow. In 1837, Mary Ann gave birth to the first of their ten children together. Oh, my goodness. And apparently, Mary Ann was always introduced and referred to as Mrs. Singer, or in some sources, Mrs. Merritt. So everybody already thought that they were actually married. Yeah, who who wouldn't? That makes They've got ten children together. They must be, right? I mean, seems pretty committed, I guess. <laughs> And where's Catherine, right? She's not around anymore. Right. But yeah, the doubtful honor of being Isaac's wife was still just Catherine Haley's. So Catherine packs up and moves, mm-hmm. takes the original kids with him, and he's just like, oh, well, I already got another one. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I got the spare. Ready to go. <laughs> Ten kids here. Well, so far in Isaac Singer's life, he proved to only be good at one thing, getting women pregnant. <laughs> he wasn't really good at making money. Uh, and which is a challenge when you've got okay. 10 plus children. A million kids to take care of. He'd be out there working odd jobs, doing some acting gigs. You know, oh, I got a commercial down at the local medicine show. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to walk down the streets like, hey, what are you doing right now? You want to come see a medicine show? Have you tried Frederick's hair tonic? Frederick's hair tonic. The only tonic that's made with real hair. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Well, one day, while he was on one of these odd jobs, inspiration struck, and he invented a drill that would bore through rock. And this is going to be really useful for canal building, which, of course, at the time, the mid-1800s, super on vogue. Everybody's digging canals, right? What's funny about this story is that apparently Isaac was on, yeah, he's working at one of his jobs, which was some kind of digging job. Uh And he was just bored. So he was like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I'm just going to make a drill that'll do it faster so I don't have to do it. He said, I'm bored, but who should be bored is these rocks. (laughs) But I just love that because it's like, see how useful laziness can really be. (laughs) Such an inspiration to not work. (laughs) And boredom, you know. He did some work so he could not work. Uh (laughs) I find that relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he ended up selling the patent for this invention for two thousand dollars and like any smart businessman he took that cash and he decided to use it to start a traveling theater troupe (laughs) (laughs) sound business decision they were called the merit players 
Well, with all her kids in tow, Mary Ann was selling tickets for the Merritt players and she would sew their costumes while Isaac handled all the production duties. But guess what? Turned out to not be a profitable business model (laughs) and soon the $2,000 was all dried up and they were broke yet again. Kids... Don't use your life savings to start, to start a theater, theater trip. Please. <laughs> please don't do don't that. Don't do it. Even if your life savings, as they were for us when we started ours, are zero dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Isaac had to start thinking of some ways to make some money. And he looked back and was like, well, geez, I invented a really useful drill for digging canals. And that got me $2,000. So maybe I'll just invent something right quick mm. and sell that, too. So he drafted up plans for a machine that would carve the little wooden letter blocks that were used for typesetting at the time. Okay, see, another need. Yeah. Like we can make this type a little faster. You see a need, you fill it, you make money. Boom. Well, now, of course, Isaac needed money to build a prototype, right? So he could sell it. And fortunately, he met George Zebert, a Philadelphia publisher and bookseller who agreed to go into business with him, and he gave him 1700 bucks. Hey there, young man. Aren't you the one who invented the rock boring drill? <laughs> well, you seem good with money. After all, you started a theater troupe with that right? $2,000. So here's some more. So they set up at a workshop in Boston. And this workshop is owned by Orson Phelps. And Isaac got to work making this machine. Okay. But it just wasn't working out, unfortunately. Missed their shot on this one. The machine mm. itself was fine. But at the time, most of the wooden type blocks were being replaced with metal. Oh. So there was no market for this machine. Oh, jeez. So Isaac's out of money again. He's like, got nothing to do. But for some reason, George Zeber continued to finance his life. I'm not entirely sure what was going on here with Zeber. Oh. Because this is not cheap. By this point, Isaac Singer had two quote-unquote wives and eight children to take care of. Oh, my God. So, I mean, he's kind of an expensive guy to keep on your on your apron strings like that. Why? Zebra, did Zebra have a little crush on Isaac or something? I mean... Now, that's an interesting hmm, question. Speculation, speculation station. station. <laughs> Mr. Zebra was madly in love with Isaac Singer, a tall, handsome actor okay, type. Okay, he's like, ooh, and he's smart and inventive. Mm-hmm. Oh, ooh, I can just put money into this handsome man. But not good with his money. I could fix him. I can fix him. <laughs> oh, okay, I love this. I think this oh, is yeah. canon. George right. Zebra in love with Isaac Singer. Let boom. us carry that through the rest of the episode. <laughs> speculation station. <laughs> speculation station. Not yeah. historically verified. The, the train is going to be riding alongside us on this <laughs> on one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately for George Zeber's dwindling bank account, Orson Phelps needed some help. Remember, this is the guy who owned the workshop that they were working out of in Boston. Mm-hmm. Now, he was manufacturing sewing machines. There were practical sewing machines at this point, but they weren't really reliable enough to be commercially successful. Mm-hmm. So Orson Phelps is like, well, hang on. There's this inventor farting around my factory with nothing useful to do. Maybe he'll take a look at these bunk-ass sewing machines and see if he can do something useful with them. Yeah, not a bad idea. But at first... Isaac Singer, shown a sewing machine, laughs and called it a, quote, paltry business. And according to American business history, he went on to say, quote, what a devilish machine. You want to do away with the only thing that keeps women quiet? They're sewing. Wow. If we take away their dutiful sewing duties, they'll just be yapping all the time. I don't want to hear that. (laughs) 
it. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about sewing, which admittedly, I don't do a lot of sewing. Sure. In fact, I do no sewing. I would say I've <laughs> never seen you sew. I would say I have some sewing, um, um, like a accoutrement, but it uh-huh. stays in a box in a drawer that's never open. For that, for that emergency one day. <laughs> that one day when I decide, you know what, now I'm going to learn how to do a button or something. <laughs> But it seems to me to be the kind of boring, like, hands-busy work that would allow you to talk quite a lot, actually. Mm. And don't women have sewing circles? The whole thing is they're all getting together to chat. <laughs> and talk. So they can and sew. Maybe that's what he means. He's like, they all go sit together and don't talk to me. <laughs> that's the main thing. <laughs> or maybe Mary didn't like talking to him. So when he came in the room, she was like, not now, I'm sewing. <gasps> and he was like, oh, they can't oh. talk when they sew. I get it. <laughs> I understand women now. He's like, it's like patting your stomach and your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. (laughs) That's so stupid. Uh, Well, of course, we know that Isaac overcame his fear of women talking. (laughs) Uh, And he did look at the sewing machine. So in 1850, these three men put a commercial enterprise together. It was George Zeber providing all the funding, Isaac Singer doing all the inventing, and Orson Feltz doing the manufacturing. Okay. And they had an equal three-way share of everything they would potentially make. And Isaac Singer did figure out the trouble with the sewing machine. So at the time, it used a curved needle Mm -hmm. and the shuttle moved in a circle. But I guess that led to a lot of like threads maybe snapping Mm -hmm. or bunching up badly. The thread would sometimes be pulled too tight. So it just required a lot more hands-on stuff. You had to fix it a lot. Okay. Isaac replaced it with a straight needle, and then he had the shuttle move in a straight line. And after these innovations, they were able to create a practical, reliable, and easy-to-use sewing machine. And I I think he also uh, was the guy who put the pedal that was operated by your foot. Oh, okay. Um, So it was uh, quite a few little innovations that fixed existing problems with what was already built. Okay. If that makes sense. I got to say... There's no way Marianne didn't have a hand in this. I mean, she's back sewing all his costumes. I guarantee he went to her and was like, "What? What would make this easier for you?" Hmm. Maybe you know. So. I don't know. Speculation station, I guess. But I, I just feel pretty confident that Mary had some input into this machine. It seems to me that pr- you're probably not wrong, but I think it goes back further because okay. I think they knew they knew what they wanted the machine to do. They just didn't know how to do it. And Mm -hmm. Isaac is like, looked at it and was like, I figured out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you're probably, but he, you know, yeah. (laughs) He didn't just take one look at it and go, I got the fix. It probably spent a couple weeks. He He probably went home, was like, honey, what the hell's wrong with this sewing machine? Why do people hate it so much? Mm -hmm. Want you to do it? Well, I don't know, dear. I guess it's just, I don't know if there's some kind of little, pedal or something i mean my feet aren't doing anything maybe they could get involved (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm inventing a whole history here but i like it (laughs) well as long as you like it that's what matters (laughs) well anyway they just did an amazing job because their new machine was so super efficient that making a man's shirt went from taking nearly 15 hours for one shirt to taking one hour and 16 minutes wow now that's amazing savings okay 14 hours on a cast hell yes yeah, that's incredible. I also just don't know why it really makes me assume that there were shirt making races. <laughs> they had to time it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they get an hour 16 is a very specific time. Someone had a stopwatch. True. So like they probably had a line of people at sewing machines. Go. I think they did because they probably priced 
how much you made on how many shirts you made rather than how long it took you to make a shirt. So they were like, this is the average amount of time to make a shirt. So Mm -hmm. if you take longer, that's your problem. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, if a woman, if someone was sewing a shirt in a factory and they were like, we'll give you 32 cents per shirt. Oh, my God. And it takes them 15 hours. And then they make, you know, 13 shirts in that time. They're like, wow, 15 hours of work. We'll continue to give you 32 cents Uh for that amount of time. Exactly. Well, now they just had to sell this machine, and they expected to rake it in. Isaac Singer's theatrical training was going to come in handy here. He put a cute girl in the shop window demonstrating the machine for people, and he would go around singing something called the Song of the Shirt. Which, of course, goes... Sadly, how does that go again? We don't... Uh, oh, the song of the shirt? Yeah, I think you were singing uh, the other day. Yes, no, I remember this. I remember this from history class. It was... Um, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, come on down. <laughs> we got shirts all over town. They got cuffs and sleeves and buttons, too. A shirt for me and a shirt for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, but you never get... The shirt you need, unless you got a sewing machine. So come on down and buy a singer sewer. And and, and everyone in town will say, wow, I owe her for this shirt. 32 cents. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it. Now, now I'm not naked. You're losing it. <laughs> ah, damn, I forgot, you know. <laughs> there was a, some of the, on the original sheet music, some of the words are blurred out. Oh, right, so right, I couldn't, right, I had right. to, you know. I think I, it's I, regional too, kind of varies. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the second verse? (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid you were going to do this. Uh, Get a singer now and fill your drawer. Get a singer now and make some more. Shirts for me and shirts for you. And everybody looks like new. How's that? (laughs) That's pretty. That's lovely. The song of the shirt. I'll take two, please. (laughs) Well, the song of the shirt certainly got everyone's attention, as I'm sure it got yours. <laughs> but the sewing machine patent wars, as well as Isaac Singer's womanizing ways, would nearly tank the whole business. So we're going to take a quick break and hear all about that right after this. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal 
and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so we already know that Isaac Singer technically did not invent the sewing machine. Right. Um, rather, he invented solutions for existing problems and improved the design of what was already available. Okay. Although I will throw out here that American Heritage says, even so, without Isaac Singer, it never would have worked. So we can still say he was the inventor of the sewing machine as we know it today. Okay. What this means, though, is that, of course, a lot of other people were involved in inventing parts of the sewing machine oh, sure. that you had to have, you know, for the whole thing to work. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of different patents that were involved in making a sewing machine. Gotcha. And that meant there was a whole patent war going on at this time. Jesus, somebody's like, well, I invented the gears. And someone's like, well, I invented mm-hmm. the needles. <laughs> exactly. And the guy's like, well, I invented the motor. Pretty much, yeah. And, I, and actually, we all talk like this. And, and we all talk like this. Yeah, they're, apparently they're like, I, I think uh, American Heritage said there were 10 major features that had to be present for a sewing machine to be a useful sewing machine. Sure. And Isaac only invented two of them. Mm. So there's that. There's eight other patents in there, yeah. right? That's going to be an issue. So the two other big sewing machine manufacturers, which was Grover and Baker, and Wheeler and Wilson accused Singer of patent infringement. Mm. And there was also Elias Howe. And he was the guy who invented several essential features, including the needle with an eye at the point. Oh. Pretty essential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of needed that. Um, so he kind of felt he had a claim to all sewing machines that anybody was making. Because mm-hmm. without his needle thing, mm-mm, y'all had a, y'all had a luck. So they were all pursuing lawsuits all against each other for years, which is very expensive. They're sinking a lot of their profits into lawyers' fees at Mm -hmm. this point. And the machines themselves were kind of too expensive as well. They cost $125. Oh, like that's the retail price? Yes. And this was at a time when most families were only making $500 a year. Oh, my God. So what a purchase. For comparison, $500 a year is what the average podcaster makes today. (laughs) (laughs) that's tough (laughs) oh that's a tough one and what's funny is they could easily have made them cheaper because according to american heritage they only cost 23 dollars to manufacture oh my god so their profit margin was pretty thousand percent markup jeez i guess of course you have to you do have to build in some marketing costs and they were traveling and stuff so i don't know how much they were actually making profit wise well on each machine but the traveling song of the shirt chorus you know they don't work for peanuts (laughs) well and you got to pay royalties and everything Uh when it plays on the radio oh and it's a 36 piece band (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm guessing you probably would deal. do some shit like yeah, that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely would. At any rate, all this means is that they were doing okay, right? They have a great product that okay. people really need. But business is kind of slower than they had expected. They're not, mm. they're just not making the piles of money. They're not Scrooge McDuckin' it gotcha. yet like they figured they would be. <laughs> and then there's some kind of ruthless Logan Roy business tactics that happen at this point uh, that Isaac Singer employed to get rid of Orson Phelps. Oh, uh, he, the factory owner. That's right. He bought him out without Zebers' permission, using money that belonged to both him and George Zeber. So he, he he was like, I'll buy him out myself and then use Zeber's money. Oh. So now that Orson Phelps was out of the picture, they moved the business from Boston to New York, probably to be closer to Isaac's two families and 10 children. Uh-huh. And they even found a new partner, which was helpful because, you know, all the expenses. Right. Maybe helpful. But this guy also decided really quickly that he hated Isaac Singer. Whoops. Isaac had gotten very, like, haughty and authoritative, a little little full of himself mm-hmm. at this point. Not to mention, he was pretty ruthless. Right. And his reputation was not exactly uh, of the most shining citizen in town, right? Oh, not at all. Besides his estranged wife, Catherine, his first wife, of course, he lived with his fake wife, Mary Ann Sponsler, and their eight kids. And then he also maintained two other affairs at the same time with two different women, both named Ellen. Damn. Then, totally unbeknownst to Mary Ann, the mother of the most of his children, <laughs> he also had another serious mistress on the side as well. This was an employee of his named Mary McGonagall. And she started calling herself Mrs. Matthews. And together, she and Isaac Singer had seven kids, five of whom lived past birth. But, and that was between 1852 and 1859. So a lot of respectable people found Isaac pretty gross, pretty mm-hmm. scandalous. And when he tried to hire a lawyer to take on these many patent infringement lawsuits that he was always dealing with, this guy flat out refused to work with him. He was like, uh-uh, yeah. I heard about you and all you ladies, mm-hmm. and I'm a respectable gentleman, and I'm not going to sully my, my reputation Right. By taking on Isaac Singer as a client. But he did recommend to him to a junior lawyer on his staff. (laughs) I I won't stoop (laughs) to your level, but you should hire my friend Bill over here. (laughs) Keep it in the firm, of course. (laughs) Right. Uh, This guy was a former Sunday school teacher (laughs) named Edward Clark. I just find that so funny that he's like, your personal life is just too gross for me. How about my friend, a Sunday Sunday school teacher? teacher. Amazing. Well, Edward Clark, of course, did not find Isaac Singer's lifestyle to be very palatable himself or his Mm -hmm. personality. They were very different men. But he did think that he had the best possible sewing machine on his hands and that he could make a fortune if the business was just managed right. Okay. So he he had dollar signs in his eyes, and he became the third partner in the Singer Sewing Machine Company. He's like, uh, the Lord says that your life is not righteous and, you know, you sin regularly. But the Lord also needs a new wing on the Sunday school. So, (laughs) you know. Think of all the good we could do with this money. But immediately some problems sprang up because George Zebert did not like Edward Clark. Oh, no. Maybe Speculation Station a little jealous of uh-huh. this new gentleman coming into oh, the middle of the goodness. relationship. Wow. Because the former partner was like an old guy, but this is like their same age, a contemporary. Yeah. So maybe he was a little like, uh oh, you're letting this man get close to you. Yep. 
Um, so Ze- George Zebra didn't like Edward Clark and Edward Clark's over here like what is Zebra even doing here like he doesn't have a formal role in this business we oh, don't really damn. need him like we have income now so we don't really need a funder like Whoops. you know like he just kind of felt like who what is this guy doing here so neither of them kind of saw the point of the other and then one day George Zebra got sick with a fever so Isaac and Edward show up at his bedside and they convinced him to sell his share in the singer sewing machine business to them for $6,000. Wow. And Zebra initially refused to do sure. this. But Isaac Singer told him, I've spoken to your doctor, and he says you don't have long to live. Do you really want to tie up your widow and a bunch of a, to a bunch of potential debts and all this litigation with these patent lawsuits and stuff? It's going to be so terrible for her. You don't uh, want all that. You just uh-huh. want to take the money and run. It was only after the deed was done that George Zeber, who completely recovered from his fever, discovered that Isaac Singer had never even seen his doctor. Of course. He had lied about the whole thing just to muscle him out. Of course he did. George. George, come on. Why didn't you say, send my doctor in here? I'll tell you why. Okay. He was too in love with Isaac Singer. He didn't think he'd betray him like that. I think think you're right. I mean, it doesn't help. Make it make sense? Because I was like, this guy's either, like, not smart. <laughs> this is not. This or he's just, like, blinded by worship of this gentleman or something. I mean, this is not. Zeber being in love with Isaac Singer was not in our original read <laughs> when we were researching this. This is, I'm, this is a revelation. This changes the whole thing. <laughs> I'm loving this. You know, he's lying in bed. <sighs> oh, I don't have long to live. Oh, Isaac. Oh, my dear Isaac. All right, well. I suppose the business is better in your hands. No. Here you go, my love. Zeber, don't do it. I sign this deed with a kiss. <laughs> with a kiss. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. Wow. I did take a little bit of exception to American Heritage kind of made fun of Zeber and Phelps because they were sort of like, well, if Isaac Singer had just been honorable and like actually upheld his agreements with us, we would have been part of the business and everything would have been fine. But he went behind our backs and did all this shady shit. Mm-hmm. And American Heritage called them gentle chuckleheads. <laughs> oh, for being. And I was like, well, that's not really fair to like expect someone to uphold a business agreement <laughs> to say you're just some fool. Wow. But then you like learn more about George and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> He's kind he of being kind really of stupid. I don't know. It's naive, right? Naive, I mean, like, I think he, is a good he, word. he really thought Isaac Singer would do the best thing. Uh, or the right thing, anyway. And nope. 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 He did not. He did the money thing. Money, please. Money, please. My money. Well, now it was just Singer and Clark who would equally share the financial success of the sewing machine. But they still had all these damn lawsuits to deal with. All these patent wars going on. Elias Howe, the, the, the needle eye guy, especially was getting aggressive. He's like, it's easier... <laughs> Oh, no. It's easier for <laughs> a camel to go through the eye of one of my needles. I don't know. There's a joke here somewhere. I don't know if you're finding it, but <laughs> I'm going to find it. <laughs> it's easier. Hang on. There's a needle and a camel. A needle and a camel walk into a bar. And I'll tell you one thing. All right. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> you cut me off. Am I cut off? Let's get these stitches straight. <laughs> oh, that's. See, we got something out of it. Nice. Thanks for the save. So Elias Howe is getting aggressive, and he was hella broke, and he wanted piles of money instead from all these sewing machine companies. He's like, I don't like being poor. I want to be rich. Okay. Give me my money. 
but he also had a really strong case. Uh, yeah. But all these constant battles nearly tanked the entire sewing machine industry. They're spending all what little profits they're making on fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So in 1856, a lawyer named Orlando Potter suggested, hey, uh, why don't all you different companies pool your patents together and share the profits? Mm. Elias Howe, meanwhile, could get a royalty on every single machine ever sold. And surprisingly, they're all kind of into it. They're like, well, I'd rather unite than fight against each other. It's it's almost 1860, and I'm going to say something no one's ever said before. United we stand, <laughs> but oh, no. divided we fall. Oh, no. If only that lesson could last another 10 years or so. (laughs) (laughs) So this was the very first patent pool. And this would later be used for airplanes, automobiles, even the movie industry. Mm -hmm. So finally, business could boom. And boy, did it. By 1860, Singer was the third best-selling sewing machine. And everybody's just stacking paper. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. But... 1860 was also the same year that all Isaac Singer's shit hit the fan. Oh, no. So as you said, they're raking it in. Singer and Clark are millionaires. Isaac was living like a king. Sure. He and Mary Ann Sponsler, along with her eight kids, they lived in a mansion on Fifth Avenue. And, you know, our boy Isaac, flamboyant. Uh Uh-huh. Actor. He wants to be the center (laughs) of attention. Yeah. So he had this giant carriage built. It weighed two tons. It was painted canary yellow. (laughs) It was drawn by nine horses. What? And it could seat 31 people. Uh, It's a carriage bus? Uh, Okay. I mean, it's it's kind of. (laughs) It also had beds for his kids and a toilet in the back. And a small orchestra would sometimes sit on the seats on the outside and be playing him down the street. Oh, my God. It's like a horse-drawn RV. Yes. Plus a trolley. (laughs) It's an arc. Yeah, it's like a horse-drawn Hummer limo with a hot tub in it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And a pool and an orchestra. (laughs) Although I guess having a toilet back then was a little easier because it was just the chamber pot. I mean, right? Sure, that's fair. You just had to have a little space for it to be. Yeah. (laughs) Probably didn't smell much worse than a greyhound today. Am I right, folks? (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) So he's, you know, he's flouting his wealth very yeah. loud and clear uh-huh. for the whole city to see. Um, of course, he's also still supporting his two kids with Catherine Haley. Oh, okay. Um, but Catherine herself, he finally divorced, ironically accusing her of infidelity. What? Oh which is just... How dare she? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's also crazy. As soon as he got rich, he's like, okay, I got to get rid of this bitch because otherwise she's going to have... Oh more money that Damn. I make. I have to get rid of her before I get too much richer. Harsh. You know, she's going to get more. That's what I think. Yeah, no, you're probably right. So he's accused, he accuses her of infidelity to get this divorce and their son, William, stuck up for Catherine in court. So Isaac Singer never forgave him. He snubbed him for the rest of his life and he left him the least amount of all of his children in his will. He only left him $500. Oh, my God. That's like, just an average American's annual salary. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we learned earlier. Oh, good job, babe. Uh, Way to call back. 
Uh, still, that sucks. I know, right? You know, I guess like, it was a le- mm-hmm. let, me, let that be a lesson of the rest of you 3,200 kids. Okay, his oldest son. Very funny. But anyway, oh. poor William. But if y'all are thinking that, oh, how excited he is to finally be free to marry Marianne Sponsler after 25 years, you clearly have not been listening (laughs) (laughs) because Isaac was not in any kind of hurry at all. No. Uh, In fact, a few months after his divorce, Marianne was out and about and she spots Isaac driving down the road in his carriage alongside none other then Mary McGonagall. Oh, from before. From before. The, the, the one who had five the, children with him. Oh, my God. Who He somehow has kept these women separate. I mean, New York's a big place, I, I guess. I guess that's <laughs> fair, yeah. I mean, Marianne did already have suspicions about old Mary McGonagall. Mm-hmm. So when she saw them together, Marianne screamed out loud and caused a big old scene, drew a whole bunch of attention. And when she saw him back at home, they had this big fight. According to an article called Singer and His Wigwam, he knocked her unconscious and also hit one of their daughters. And Marianne marched straight to the police station and had him arrested for cruelty and bigamy. Just kind of funny (laughs) because she was his bigamy (laughs) and they're not married. Right. (laughs) Well, he was let out on bond because, of course, he was a rich man in New York City Uh and he fled to London, apparently, according to American Heritage, taking Mary's younger sister, Kate McGonagall, with him. Oh, my God. Mary's like, well, (laughs) your sister and my girlfriend are all mad at each other. Mm -hmm. So let's get out of here. Also, look at the pattern. We have a Catherine and a Kate, a Marianne and a Mary and two Ellens. Oh, it's like he's like, I, I have a lot of bitches, so y'all all got to have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> Just so I can keep you straight. I'm not going to get tripped up by <laughs> calling y'all the wrong name. <laughs> to be fair, there were only 12 names back then. <laughs> well, if it weren't bad enough that he took his third girlfriend's little sister with him. <laughs> While the police were investigating the many infidelities that Mary Ann accused him of, they found another quote-unquote wife of his, a sewing machine demonstrator, one of these cute girls he stuck in the window, Uh named Mary Uh Eastwood Walters. And she'd had a daughter with him in 1852. My God, man. So it turns out this guy actually had four separate families with 16 children, all of them living in New York City. (laughs) I don't even know if the two Ellens were still around at this point. Who knows? I'm sure he... Uh, it d- I would not put it past him. That's just that the he families. would have just some casual yeah. things on the side in addition. Definitely. I mean, you got little Kate McGonagall here, too. That's, That's not the first time they met if she fled to Paris with him or can't she be. fled to London with him. Well, and Mary, I guess, Mary McGonagall is also a shop yeah. window demonstrator. I mean, they were all Jeez. like demonstrators. So he's like finding all these cute girls, huh. making them his employees, sleeping You're with them, me. having multiple kids with some of them. You're telling me that a rich businessman. <laughs> deliberately hired young, attractive women so that he could attempt to sleep with them? Shocking, I know. Well, it never happened before, Isaac Singer, and I certainly know it never happened after. (laughs) Glad we can put that history behind us. We're better than that today. (laughs) Also, I have to wonder, because they call her a wife, quote-unquote wife, Uh so did Mary Eastwood Walters think she was married to him? Did they, did they, oh, was that his thing? Or he was just like, call yourself my wife when we're out in public. 
it's probably because they had a kid together. Yeah. I, I bet once they got pregnant, he was like, okay, call yourself something uh-huh. and that'll make you respectable. You can like hold your head up in society somehow. Yeah. I can have a wife with multiple children in each corner of town, <laughs> but geez, if I had a child with someone out of wedlock, mm-hmm. that would be embarrassing. Right. Because she had to know he was married. Yeah. At sla- or at least think think he was married to Marianne. The guy's famously married. We said earlier that, like, even journalists were talking shit about him running around with For everybody. Real. Well, at this point, Edward Clark was furious because all this rigmarole with his divorce and all his extra families and all this stuff was all over the papers. Mm-hmm. And what was really bad about it was that Clark had made their company successful by selling sewing machines at half price to community leaders, inclu- including clergymen, oh. so that they would influence other people to buy mm-hmm. them, like the original <laughs> social media influencers. Right. And now they were saying, well, I'm a church person. You know, I'm a community leader. I can't be associated with a company with a guy like this in right. charge. All of this, in addition to the outbreak of the Civil War, made Clark write, quote, Business is pretty much at a standstill. Now, Singer did come back to New York from England to settle things with Marianne because she sued him for divorce. This is a bit of a head scratcher because they had never gotten married, as we said. Uh But she argued that since he had lived with her for seven months exclusively after his divorce from Catherine, that they had a common law marriage. And that meant she was entitled to some alimony payments Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. some assets and things. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all the multiple children we had together. So Singer did agree to her terms, although he said she could never get married again. Wow. Or ever, I guess, because she had never been married in the first place. And then he left again for Europe to wait for all the accountability, I I mean, unpleasantness, to die down. (laughs) But of course, it's Isaac Singer, so he found someone to comfort him in his time of sorrow. Mm. And we will meet her right after these words. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back, everyone. So Isaac Singer took himself back to Europe. But this time he went to Paris instead of London, and he stayed at a boarding house owned by the English-born widow of a Frenchman. She had a daughter named Isabella Eugenie Boyer, who was 19 years old at the time. She was intelligent, attractive, and lively, and it wasn't long before Isaac Singer fell for her. American Heritage writes that her mother had no problem with her daughter becoming the mistress of a rich American. Some sources say Isabella was widowed or divorced already, but others say that she left her husband for Isaac. This may not be very likely because she was Catholic. And of course, the Catholics still very much frowning on divorce. Yeah, and only 19. So. Right, right. Mm. Although his, you know, Isaac's first wife was 15 when they got very married. True. So. But, oh, man, by 19, you could have several divorces under your belt. <laughs> a couple of kids and a failed business or two. Oh, man. <laughs> People live life on the edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever the truth of their situation was, Isabella clearly had a pretty good idea about how to wind Isaac around her finger. Because when they came back to New York in 1863, Isaac actually married her. <gasps> like a for real marriage. Church, what? priest, everything. Wow. Yeah. American Heritage says that this lady was pretty savvy. She she lost no time in building good relationships with all of his children, right? Mm -hmm. Got to know all 73,000 of them. <laughs> Whether they were legitimate or not, mm -hmm. she even convinced Isaac to convert to Catholicism. She really had this guy I pegged. Mean, she, yeah. well, she might have had him pegged. She you know, might. I don't know what they were into. <laughs> yes. Speculation station. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella was pegging Isaac. Uh -huh. She's like, who's the sewing machine now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you were like, I lost the thread. <laughs> hey. Hey, lost the thread. <laughs> A lot of lost threads in this one. <laughs> Well, together, Isaac and Isabella, of course, Isaac being one of the most fertile men in America oh, at this point, they had six children, one of which is the subject of an upcoming episode, Winneretta Singer, the 20th of Isaac's 26 kids, 22 of whom lived past childhood. Oh, oh my God. Now, many sources also say that Isabella was so beautiful that she was the model for the Statue of Liberty. Oh, uh, <laughs> famed hottie, the Statue of Liberty. Just, <laughs> I look at her and I'm like, wow, gorgeous features. I mean, she's got some strong bones, she's you know. She's got some strong bones. She's look, got a cool look. Hey, I mean, the Statue of Liberty is beautiful. You want to say a Statue of Liberty is an Ugmo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying she's, she's you know. Talking shit about the Statue of Liberty? She's a little copper. She's a little copper. Oh, wow. You got a, oh. I see. Well, uh, true copper is a gorgeous skin color, but the, the green <laughs> copper. Oh, the verdigris. Is, uh, is, yeah, the verdigris is a uh, little 
It's just not working for me, okay? I'm allowed oh, okay. to have an wow. opinion. Wow. Well, all right. <laughs> look, if you look like the Statue of Liberty, stay out of my face. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm saying. I don't here. want your torches. Fine. It all comes out now. Jeez, you know, so you're learning a lot take about Take your tired, you're hungry, you're poor, and get them out of here. <laughs> Well, I hate to say it, but that seems to be probably an apocryphal story. Not not true. Oh, that um, she was modeled after her? Yeah, that okay. she was the model for, for the Statue of Liberty. Because, according to Reuters, the Statue of Liberty was actually originally designed to look like an Arab woman, a peasant. Oh. Um, th- the sculptor, Frederick Auguste Bertoldi, originally pitched it to Egypt to be on the Suez Canal. But they rejected that design. So when Bartoldi was working on a design for Lady Liberty, he kind of went back to it. And then other inspirations, including the Colossus of Rhodes, kind of affected its design and stuff. He had a bunch of different inspirations. So over time, it evolved into a big ass statue of Libertas, the Roman goddess of liberty that we know and love. So probably has nothing to do with Isabella Boyer. Well, love. Well, you know, I just I felt bad. So I looked up a picture of the Statue of Liberty's face. OK, how do you she's feel? perfectly pretty. OK, I was going to say, I, I don't think you remember but, what she looks like. <laughs> you know, you know where I think it comes from? Huh? Would it kill her to smile? Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. I'm coming. I'm coming out there to punch you. In Come the on. Face. Give us a smile, Libertas. I'll punch you <laughs> right in the dick. <laughs> Ow. That doesn't help anybody. I don't know. It'd make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, even though Isaac was now respectably married for once, for once, this was not enough to change Edward Clark's opinion of him, his mm-hmm. his business partner in Singer Sewing. He was just totally done being in business with this guy, this nasty reputation. So in July of 1863, they rancorously agreed to dissolve their partnership. Mm-hmm. Isaac's main stipulation said, "Okay, we can split up here, but neither of us is allowed to be president of the corporation while the other one is alive. Mm. And if I'm Edward Clark, I would take that as a threat. I know, right? Uh (laughs) Like, okay, so I I should sleep with one eye open then? (laughs) You're going to dress like King Richard and come kill me in my sleep? (laughs) Well, they both held considerable stock, so they were both making a mint anyway, especially after a tailor named Ebenezer Butterick started making and selling dress patterns. Mm. So now this whole like Pinterest culture exploded, opened up the market hugely to housewives who could just take these patterns and make their own clothes at home. Mm -hmm. And Edward Clark had actually already started targeting them uh, to purchase sewing machines. Remember earlier when we said that the machines were $125 when most families only made $500 a year? Well, Edward Clark decided... I got a pretty good idea. Maybe you don't have $125 right now, but I will accept $5 down up front and then women can take the machines home and pay them off with monthly payments. Hmm. And thus began the first consumer credit program. Pretty amazing. Pretty remarkable. I mean, that's a smart idea. Yeah. Buy now, pay later. And if you don't, I'm sending Isaac to your house. You'll end up with 13 Uh kids you weren't planning on having. (laughs) Oh, no. And the husbands are like, don't let him in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm terrified of Isaac Singer. For some reason, all the women go for him. (laughs) I'm saying. (laughs) I mean, at at least later you can be like, I guess the money had a lot to do with it. But I mean, he was definitely a a charmer. He must have been. He He was like the life of the party kind of guy. And maybe he was pretty magnetic. Tall, handsome. And yeah, probably didn't hurt that. 
Oh, I was making $500 a year. You make that in a day. Uh, yeah. So, in okay. Five minutes. Yeah. yeah. They were also doing very well because they were selling a ton of Singer sewing machines to the Union Army. Oh. And they advertised proudly that, quote, we clothe the Union armies while Grant is dressing the rebels. Oh. And dressing, in this case, means bandaging up wounds, by mm. the way. Because I at first was like, why is Grant dressing the rebels? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm so confused. So by the time the war ended, the Singer Company was expanding internationally. Mm. They opened a factory in Glasgow. Eventually, Russia became one of their biggest markets, and it made them one of the first American companies to prosper internationally, oh, according okay. to American business history. Edward Clark had hit on another business innovation, too. Like, the sewing machines changed the business game in a lot of ways. Yeah. So Edward had tried licensing sales agents across the country to sell Singer sewing machines, but too often they would sell a competitor's model instead of a Singer. Oh, wow. So Clark switched it up, and he required his employees to only sell Singers exclusively. They were not allowed to sell another competitor's model. Mm -hmm. And he opened hundreds of local offices from which to demonstrate and sell sewing machines in, like, all over the states. And this was the very first retail chain. No kidding. The Singer Sewing Machine. Wow, Isn't man. that so crazy? Imagine people at the time just looking up and being like, oh, they're opening a Singer Sewing Store. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> like the old mom and pop place is gone because of the Singer Sewing <laughs> It's office. like there's a Singer Sewing Office right there and another one right across the street. Are What's you... the point? <laughs> What's the, the point? Mattress firm or the Starbucks oh, of its day. <laughs> I wonder if uh, if ever people were like, ooh, it's the sewing machine office. You know there's going to be a cute girl in the window. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah, but she's got four kids with Isaac Singer. <laughs> I can overlook it. I can overlook it. <laughs> but you're right. They became so ubiquitous that jokes were made about the, their brand, including this one. Okay. Why is a singer sewing machine like a kiss? I don't know. Why is a singer sewing machine like a kiss? Because it seems so good. <laughs> Oh, seems S E A M S, but it sounds like S E E M, which is also weird because it's I'm like, like kind of dunking on kisses, right? Because like they seem good, but they're not. Yeah, this guy's. What are you never trying to say? Kiss. <laughs> this is George Zeber being like, "Don't kiss Isaac Singer." It <laughs> seems, seems good. so good, but then <laughs> take it for all your worth. Well, Isaac, at this point, shockingly, actually seemed to have turned over a new leaf. Hmm. American Heritage writes, quote, He suddenly became a model of docile domesticity, a doting father and grandfather. Interesting. Isabella really changed did a number this on him. Or maybe he's just tired. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it seemed that Isabella wanted to go home to France, Isaac packed up all her shit and moved there. No, she has got him. Oh, yeah. Wrapped up. I, she must have been uh, just the Smoke most show. charming, <laughs> smoking hot, delightful person. I I guess. And funny. Maybe she's really funny. Maybe she's really funny. Just thinking of the, you know, the type like... of woman it would take for me to pack up and move to Paris. She must have been really something special. <laughs> uh, about to get As out. in, she's got fewer than three legs. <laughs> And a working face. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> that means I would move to Paris very easily. Well, yeah, I figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The face doesn't even have to function. I'm just, look, if you ask me to move to Paris, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go right now. Especially if you're paying for everything. <laughs> yeah, right. 
So they're living in Paris, and when the Franco-Prussian War broke out, they went to Devonshire, England, where Isaac Singer purchased a big estate with 110 rooms called Old Way Mansion in 1871. American Heritage says, you know, this is the time of life when anyone this famous will be thinking about writing a memoir. But Isaac Singer had no formal education, and in fact, he was actually pretty close to illiterate. Mm. So instead of a memoir, he decided he was going to build this huge, ridiculous house of course. that he called the Wigwam. And this was inspired by the Petit Trianon at Versailles. It featured 115 rooms, a completely equipped theater, a coach house big enough for 50 carriages, Ooh. or two of his carriage buses. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and a marble hall with, of course, a grand staircase. This building cost him $500,000, which in today's money is $11 million, Although I got to imagine it would cost more than $11 million to build it today. Probably. He entertained all of his kids and his neighbors there. He even once let an entire circus come through. Yeah. Which wow. honestly I respect. If you got a house that big and you're actually using it for something. No, I was like, oh, he got a completely equipped theater so he can go in and like do his monologues right, or yeah. something. But <laughs> actually, it sounds like more like he would let traveling theater companies use it. Yeah. And he'd be like, I, I also have a I come with an audience because there are 20 <laughs> fucking kids that can yeah, go watch right. the show. <laughs> Plus uh-huh. all my neighbors. And he probably stepped into it and is like, I'll be playing your King Richard tonight, I, by I mean, the way. for real. You got to imagine. He, and they're like, he we're, did that, at least we're not doing Shakespeare. And he's like, you are now. Tonight, you're doing King Richard. So finally, in 1875, Isaac Merritt Singer died at age 63. Finally, she said. Finally. <laughs> well, I guess I don't mean it like that, but. <laughs> As in the final thing to happen to him. The final thing to happen to him. The final thing to happen to all of us, I suppose. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. in 1875, died. Isaac Merritt Singer died. Uh, he was given a very impressive funeral. He had a 75 carriage procession sure. and 2,000 mourners wow. in, in Devonshire where he lived. Nearly two thirds of which were his children. I know, right? He <laughs> was like, don't take much. <laughs> I, I, again, built in audience. Back in New York City, Edward Clark was telling anyone who would listen how he was, quote, sincerely deploring the loss of this distinguished inventor. And as American Heritage writes, quote, at once got himself elected president of the company. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Oh, yes. So sorry. Oh, it's tragic that he died. Somebody sign right here, please. Uh Oh, uh no. How will I ever go on? I'll be raising my salary. Oh, my heart. It aches. Uh, I'd like the carriage, too, as a company car. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, Isaac Singer left behind a fortune of $13 million, Mm. which is worth closer to $300 million today which he divided unequally between all his kids. Sure. Um, But there were very bitter battles about it from all sides. A lot of people contested this will. Like, every kid had something to say. Sure. William and Lillian, his children and Catherine, were given the least amount. Mm. Uh, William, the least of all, since he stuck up for his mom in court, as we recall. But apparently, Marianne Sponsler was the most combative. She forced a whole court hearing trying to get a million-dollar settlement but American Heritage says that most of her kids had turned against her by then. So oh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> they were like, "This the dad's got a circus, so I'm going to go hang out with right, him instead. Yeah. I don't know. At any rate, the only witness that she could get to show up for her side was old Orson Phelps. Oh, the, the workshop owner? manufacturer guy wow. that he had muscled out many years ago. 
And she eventually settled for $75,000, but she made a real meal of it. Yeah. (laughs) Isabella, his last wife, uh, went back to Paris and she remarried to a Dutch musician in 1879. And interestingly, this musician named uh, Victor Rubsat, however that's pronounced (laughs) in Dutch, was the son of a shoemaker or Schumacher. But he became an internationally successful singer and violinist, partly by falsely claiming to everyone that he was an aristocrat named Vicomte Destenburg. Crazy. But fortunately, he was gifted a title of Duke of Campostelis from the Italian king in 1881, and he became a real aristocrat, so he didn't have to lie about it anymore. <laughs> After he died in 1887, Isabella married a third time to an art collector in 1891. She died in 1904 at 62 years old. Now, we, you know, I've roasted Isaac a little bit, uh-huh. I feel, because I don't think he was very fair to a lot of these women. Doesn't seem like it. Especially Marianne. But American Heritage does end its very in-depth story about Isaac Singer by pointing out that the only detailed account of his private life comes from the divorce proceedings that were started by Mary Ann Sponsler. Oh. So they're kind of like, it's sort, sort of an unreliable narrator because she yeah. had, you know, a bone to pick. And they write that most of the women in his life were very fond of him. She was the only one who grew to hate him. So we might have an unduly negative view of him now. Maybe all these ladies were completely fine with this arrangement because he was, like, willing to maintain the kids and, like, give them money. And they were like, fine, I don't care. Like, it's entirely possible that they were totally, you know, into it. Interesting. Uh, And they conclude, quote, a less prejudiced witness might have concluded that Singer must have been, more often than not, a charming, likable vulgarian, bubbling over with animal spirits, with a voracious appetite for life, and a ready, if rough, talent for savoring all its delights. Okay. So just, you know... To give him his just desserts, right? Or give him his fair credit or whatever. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to include that here. And, it, you know, unlike many men in his position, it must be said that he did acknowledge and, and support all of his kids, whether he was married to their mom or not. Oh, A okay. lot of men would not have done that. So that's true. That's true. It sort of feels like one of those things was like, that's what you should do. So I don't feel like I should praise you for that. But I guess a lot of people didn't. <laughs> well, so somehow yeah. I have to praise you for that. <laughs> low bar situations. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, uh, but it is. it does seem like he really enjoyed being a father. He mostly enjoyed his kids and really wanted them to be around him. He's clearly spent time with them and stuff. So that's so know. interesting. I'm curious, you know, Mary Ann had such a right. such a story to tell. Mm-hmm. If only he had written that uh, memoir. Right. Right. And th- when we say he's illiterate, he wasn't like he couldn't read or write because he did write letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. He just had very poor spelling and grammar yeah. and stuff. He just clearly wasn't, he wasn't like, going to sit wordsmith. down and write a book. Exactly. He should have embroidered it with one of his machines. <laughs> he should have had somebody else embroider it. Just stitch it into fabric, <laughs> the fabric of our lives. Fabric of my life. It could be the title of his memoir. The fabric of my life. The fabric life. of my life. Uh, or, um, or the, threads, the threads of my life. The thre- the, uh, lo- losing the Thread by Isaac Singer. <laughs> <laughs> A stitch in time. Saves nine. A stitch from my sewing machine saves you. A hundred. Wow. Okay. All right. So I so, don't know. I, I, I found this a really cool story because there was so much interesting business history in it yeah. too that I, I find interesting. And then also his insane private life and how funny that it, it bubbled over to affect his business. It must have been pretty serious. 
That's the other thing that's sort of fascinating about this in a way that you can't really dive into because none of these women, of course, have their own articles written about them or anything like that, right, right. except for Isabella Boyer. So, you uh, you know, we get no perspective from Mary McGonigal, for example, or right. Mary Eastwood Walters or right. any, of, any of them. So I have no idea. But, you know, it sort of speaks to how differently marriage was viewed, I suppose, or how differently men's sure. behavior could be viewed. Yeah. American Heritage also was saying like, oh, he was a man who just was in the wrong time. He would have done super well, you know, in a harem times or, <laughs> you know, like, you know, or uh, ethical non-monogamy today. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, eth- yeah, eth- ethical non-monogamy today. But uh-huh. uh, in his time, people were very scandalized by it. So right. um, it was kind of I guess that makes it maybe more special or, or not special, but um, commendable that he acknowledged his kids yeah because it made it was so much more scandalous to have illegitimate children oh, sure yeah so maybe that's part of it too is that he was they're like well he really could have made it a big secret and tried to cover it up but he was just like no these are my that's my family everybody knew he needed that big ass carriage <laughs> to carry them <laughs> know, all around right? so let me add a few more seats on this it. because you never know right well i love this story what a weird one i love the shirt song the song oh, of the, the shirt the shirt well, thank you to Seth for the Winneretta Singer suggestion because it's we've got two episodes out of it now. Right. I'm very excited to get into Winneretta as well. Yeah. I hope y'all enjoyed this story as much as we did. For real. Um, please reach out and let us know or give us other suggestions so that we can fall into further and further rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> Our email address is ridicromance at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can find us on the Instagram. I'm at oh great. It's Eli. I'm at Diana Mike Boom. And the show is at ridicromance. That's right. I'm sorry. I completely lost the thread. (laughs) (laughs) One more thread loss before we go. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. Please come back for the next episode. We love y'all so much for listening. Yep. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 